If you would, please join me in taking out uh, your Bibles and turning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we turn to God's Word, let's also now turn to Him in prayer, asking His aid, assistance, His help as we look to His Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for not leaving us alone to make our way home You have given us your word, it is a map. You have given us your Holy Spirit, it is a compass. Father, may your word and spirit have their way with your people today, that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of us. And as we go about our duty, Father, help us to do it with a humble reliance upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, for we pray in his name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, please have your Bibles open to John 14, and also you may want to have your Trinity hymnal uh, open to page 845, which is where you can find the Apostles' Creed. Now, last week, uh, there was a song from the summer of 1966. Remember, the temptations ain't too proud to beg. Well, this week, we're going back one year to the summer of 1965. It's a one-word song title, Help. And you may remember the statement, I need somebody, help. Not just anybody, help. You know I need somebody, help. And then the lyrics continue with a question. Won't you please, please help me? Well, that's a universal statement and a universal request, isn't it? For the Christian... God has provided somebody to help, and not just anybody to help, but the Holy Spirit. We are here at number nine in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An Exposition of the Apostles' Creed. Now remember, creed is Latin for credo, I believe. Now while creeds are subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, they are vitally important as they help us organize and summarize the teachings of Scripture. Now, the origin of the Apostles' Creed started probably in the 2nd century, uh, developed over the next few centuries from the 2nd to the 6th or the 8th, and presently is recognized by churches and denominations all over the world as one of the ecumenical or universal creeds. And for those of you who watched the funeral service of Former President George H.W. Bush, you may remember that there was a little bit of a controversy um, about who did and who did not recite the Apostles' Creed that was part of the Episcopal uh, order of worship for a funeral service. So indeed, this creed that was established in the early centuries of the church is still being used and, as we would argue, rightly used today. The Apostles' Creed summarizes The faith. If you turn over to the next creed, page 846, the Nicene Creed is a creed that helps defend the faith. Now, these creeds, this creed in particular, it summarizes the apostolic teaching, but by no means does it exhaust it. It doesn't cover everything. And remember, when we say, I believe, it doesn't mean faith in faith, but rather faith in the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. And we've been reminding ourselves that there are benefits 
of continuing to use this ancient creed, it promotes personal humility. We are not the end-all, be-all in Christianity. It didn't start with us, and by God's grace, it won't end with us. We are merely people in the midst of a growing stream of people following Jesus. So it promotes personal humility. It serves to both commend the faith as well as defend the faith, to uh, promote the faith outwardly, to defend the faith from attacks uh, from the outside and the inside. And also, as we say, I believe together, it serves to promote church unity. Having a confession of faith and a worship service is not some sort of dead tradition with no meaning. Rather, confessing our faith, declaring what we believe, serves to strengthen our faith. To, because we, we, we need to be reminded of what we already know, what we believe. There are many things in life that we don't know. I always go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord but the things that he has revealed belong to us and to our children. But there are many things that we don't know, but there are certain things that we know for sure without a doubt. And these things both anchor and power our lives. Now, thus far in our series, we've looked at the need for a common creed. We looked in particular at what does it mean to say, I believe. We looked at God the Father Almighty. We looked at the Father who's also the maker of heaven and earth. We then moved into the second part of the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, His person, His only Son, our Lord. And then we looked at, I believe in Jesus Christ, His work, His humiliation and His exaltation, where Jesus was born, bled, and buried. And then Jesus was risen, reigning, and returning. Well, today we begin the third part uh, of the creed, you'll see it's the third person of the Trinity. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You see, the, tr the, the creed is thoroughly Trinitarian because our God, the one true and living God, has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see the creating work of the Father, the rescue work of the Son, and the recreating work of the Spirit. Going between the second section, focusing on Jesus the Son, to the third section, focusing on the Holy Spirit, is the move from the accomplished work of Jesus to the application of that work by the Holy Spirit. This third section of the Apostles' Creed may look unrelated, but really it's a job description of the Holy Spirit. You see, the the Holy Spirit creates a new community, the church. The Holy Spirit creates a new relationship between men and women, boys and girls, and God through forgiveness. The Holy Spirit creates a new existence through resurrection from the dead. And the Holy Spirit creates a new destiny, everlasting life. Going back to the Old and New Testament readings from Ezekiel 36 and John 7, remember the promise of the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you, the Lord tells his people. And Jesus, we read in John 7, 
And then uh, John says this about what Jesus said at, at the festival. Now this was said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now how does the work of Jesus that's laid out in section 2 work out in section 3 in bringing blessings? The blessings of the church the fellowship of the church, forgiveness, resurrection, life everlasting. How? Well, turn with me by keeping uh, your finger there in John 14 over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to read all the verses, but verses 3 through 14 in the original language are one sentence. One sentence. Kids in school, do your teachers ever um, get on you for a run-on sentence? Yeah, they used to get on it for me. Your sentence is too long. Well, Paul, in writing the Ephesians, is really good at writing long sentences. And believe me, trying to pick apart that sentence when it's so long is tough. But I want to look at the last few words of this one long sentence, beginning chapter 1, verse 13. In Him that is in Christ Jesus... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see... The purpose of God the Father is achieved by Christ the Son, and they find their goal in and through the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Well, if you look at the Creed, there are just two direct references to the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, but the references to the Holy Spirit in the Bible are vast and many beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation. But I thought it would be best to anchor what it is we believe about the Holy Spirit from one text in particular, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. Now to be sure, we will go elsewhere at times, but we will keep coming back to this text. And in our text, we will see that believing in the Holy Spirit means believing in the person of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and finally, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Join with me now as I read John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This chapter, chapter 14, is in the context of Jesus' five-hour dinner with his disciples the night before he was betrayed, arrested, suffered, crucified. And you will see in operation in our text, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I was reviewing a book called The Holy Trinity, and in the first few pages of the book, the author of this book remarks that he received an email from Sinclair Ferguson, who, by the way, is teaching via, um, what, DVD, uh, our adult class downstairs, um, the Upper Room Discourse. And this is what Ferguson says about chapters 13 through 17, but you can apply it to chapter 14. I've often reflected on the rather obvious thought that when his disciples were about to have the world collapse in on them, our Lord spent so much time in the upper room speaking to them about the mystery of the Trinity. If anything could underline the necessity of Trinitarianism for practical Christianity, that surely must be it. Indeed, we will see this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, will be a significant means of strengthening us in our walk with Jesus. So let's take a look at I believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. First, a few general comments. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, shows up in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. Uh, Hebrew is ruach, the wind, the breath. The Spirit of God. And we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of revelation. You see, God was making Himself known all along through His Word because the Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. Peter, in his second letter, writes this, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul reminds us, That all scripture is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit is the author who uses human authors to accomplish his will in revealing God's word. The Holy Spirit is a person. A divine person. Look back at John 14 verse 17. The world neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not what the Jedi Knights look to. It's not a force. It's not a magic formula. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
A person who teaches, we read in Luke 12, who speaks in Acts 13, who intercedes, who prays in Romans 8, who grieves. Ephesians 4, a person who is distinct from the Father and from the Son and yet of the same essence. We see in Scripture that the person of the Holy Spirit is fully divine because His name is used interchangeably with the name of God. And we see that in Acts 5 and in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. Now, before we move on from the person, let's take a moment to reflect upon the Son's personal relationship with the Spirit. Think about Jesus' life conceived by the Holy Spirit. That makes it into the Apostles' Creed. But the Spirit present at His baptism. The Spirit leads Him into the wilderness. The Spirit um, rests on Him and empowers Him for ministry. And one text speaks of Jesus being raised by the Spirit. Especially in John's Gospel that you see that even though Jesus has 12 disciples in general and three in particular, His closest companion, His dearest friend, is the Holy Spirit. You can also say that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of salvation, the Spirit of the church, the Spirit of witness. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, not only do we believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, we also believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being everywhere. Most of us, some of us, may be familiar with Psalm 139. A great psalm that reminds us of the truth that life really does begin in the womb because God is the author of life. But there's a great rhetorical question in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? The psalmist is acknowledging you can't get away from the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is, is eternal as well as we read in Hebrews 9. Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. The Spirit is everywhere. The Spirit is eternal. But the Spirit in particular is in you, the believer, the Christian. Again, back to John 14, verse 17. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Keep going down a few verses to verse 23. We, that is the Father and the Son, we will come to Him and make our home with Him, implied by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. He continues in his next letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And for those of you with us in our series from Galatians, you may remember this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, this promised Holy Spirit was actually present all along. 
But as you know, it took the arrival of the Spirit in its, fu- in its fullness on the day of Pentecost, where the promise of the Spirit the disciples and the apostles were to wait for did come. And lives were changed through that manifestation of the presence of the Spirit through wind and fire. The presence of the Holy Spirit, think about it with me. Is that good news for you or bad news for you? I mean, ask yourself. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit dwells within those who confess and profess and possess faith. The Holy Spirit is holy. So is the Holy Spirit in your life good news or bad news? Hold that thought as we continue. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is powerfully present. So when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, you're also saying, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the primary work of the Holy Spirit, we see in John 16, verse 14, to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit seems pretty absent, right? In churches like ours, it seems, right? There's the Father, there's the Son. Where's the Holy Spirit? But interestingly, Scripture itself attests to the fact that the Holy Spirit is not drawing attention to Himself. He's pointing to Christ. He's shining the light on Christ. He's glorifying Christ. The primary mission and purpose of the Holy Spirit, as we will talk about in a moment, is to exalt Christ and to make Him real to God's people. Notice also just the recreating work of Christ. Remember Jesus in John 3 talking with Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born by water and the Spirit. And the Spirit comes and goes like the wind. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you need the Spirit to see the kingdom. You need the Spirit to enter the kingdom. And you know in Titus chapter 2, Paul writes that we were saved by God's mercy through the washing, the regeneration, the washing, the renewal of who? Of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, as we will now Consider the Holy Spirit is a helper. We saw that at the front end and the back end of our passage. Another helper, verse 16, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Remember the song, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Here's the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the parakaleo, the come alongside to call, to prod, to urge on. In one use in that day, it was the advocate, the legal defense team. I will give you a defender, an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, a helper, another helper. Jesus is saying, just as I have been with you physically, another helper is coming to be with you spiritually. 
to teach you in verse 25. And in chapters 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. Now, my friends, we don't have enough time today to to look at everywhere we could go to talk about the Spirit. But just think about that for a moment. The Spirit of Truth. Now, we live in a day and age where truth is relativized. Truth is pushed aside. Truth is tried to be suppressed and exchanged. But we all know you can't ultimately, finally do away with truth. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is referred to as the spirit of truth. Now, my friends, when the Holy Spirit of truth is in you, when you and I are sinning, which we do daily in thought, word, and deed, the Holy Spirit is up against that, isn't he? Tim Keller in one of his sermons says this, sometimes he's against you for you. Let that sink in. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is against you for you. Kids, when mom and dad insist rightly that no, you do need to go back up and straighten up your room, it seems like they're against you, but they're really for you. Isn't that the way with God? Sometimes He seems to be against us, but really, He's for us. The Holy Spirit is the secret agent of the Trinity. We share in Christ and all of His blessings by faith. The blessings and benefits of Christ are ours by faith. It is by trusting in Christ, resting in Christ, depending on Christ, that the Spirit works in us. John Calvin rightly understands that the Holy Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ. It is through the agency of the Holy Spirit that the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection come to us. In his Magisterial Institutes of the Christian Religion in book three, this is the title, the way in which we receive the grace of Christ, what benefits come to us from it, and what effects flow, follow. And here's chapter 1 of book 3. The things spoken concerning Christ profit us by the secret working of the Spirit. The secret working of the Spirit. Imagine Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the work of the Spirit is like the wind. You can't see it coming, you can't see it going, but it does have an effect. The Apostles' Creed points to and reminds us of this, that God's Spirit is given through Jesus. It plunges us into a river of blessings that saves and sanctifies, unites believers with Jesus and each other, and equips and empowers us to be a spiritual people ready for both earthly labor and eternal life. Years ago in Texas, I was working with a man, uh, another staff member of the Navigators, and Bud would get really excited when he was discipling a young believer, or maybe not a young believer, but meeting someone to, to share Christ with him. And Bud, with a twinkle in his eye, would say, eventually, I had to bring in the secret weapon. I had to bring in the secret weapon. And then he would smile and he would say, 
we finally got to God's word. And to that I would add that the Holy Spirit in the fact that the word and the spirit work together, the secret weapon of the word is joined together with the secret agent of the spirit and together they work and change lives from dead life to new life and to growing life. So here's a summary of belief in the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the words of J.I. Packer. Here's what he says. So when I say as a Christian, I believe in the Holy Spirit, my meaning should be, first, that I believe personal fellowship across space and time with the living Christ of the New Testament to be a reality, which through the Spirit I have found. Second, that I am open to being led by the Spirit who now indwells me into Christian knowledge, obedience, and service, and I expect to be so led each day. And third, that I bless him as the author of my assurance that I am a son and heir of God. And Packer concludes with this, Truly, it is a glorious thing to believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, let's wrap up. Remember our series, The Promise of Rest. Remember the call of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a precious promise. Come to me, Jesus says. Well, who enables someone to hear the call and to respond to the call of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ that's recounted to us in the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the glue that connects us to the Son, to the Savior. If you go back to our shorter catechism, question and answer 31, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. The only way to hear the call and to respond to the call of Jesus is the gracious, sovereign operation of the Holy Spirit. And because the helper has been sent and now lives in the Christian, the Christian is at all times and in every place in the presence of a powerful person. My friends, humanly speaking, you know what it's like to be in the presence of a powerful person, right? I remember being called into the office of my commanding officer and he was present and powerful And it was not necessarily a good thing. Your boss, your teacher. But my friends, if you're called into the presence of a powerful person and that person is all good, all good, what a joy, what peace, what assurance, what rest, what safety, what comfort. You see, we live in a sinful and fallen world. And that's why John in his first epistle can say this, He who is in you, 
The Holy Spirit is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. And finally, the Holy Spirit is both given, sent by the Father and the Son, as well as asked for. So my friends, ask for what God, the Father and the Son, is pleased to give. Indeed, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My friends, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mysterious to be sure, but we thank you that all three persons of the eternal God are working even at this very moment for our salvation and our sanctification and our coming glorification. Father, help us to rest in the assurance, the comfort, the security, the joy of being in the presence of a powerful person, in the presence of your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.